Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. Our pop culture roundup and welcome to Plathville recap for the week. Um, for those of you who've been waiting for me to talk about Plathville and what the schedule is, the answer to that, I'm not sure. In my mind, I'm feeling, excuse me, spiritually led to have what I've been calling in my head religious repression Wednesdays and just do a one big episode of Plathville and um, a Sister Wives, but we'll see. We'll just see how I feel. There's so many good shows on now with New York and Salt Lake, and I just can't fit it all into a week. And you guys, y'all don't want to listen to me five days a week. You know, I know you don't. So I'm trying to help you guys out <laughs> and, and get this uh, content out in a way that's like palatable to people. So they're not like overwhelmed with me. And also, before we get into the episode, I'm going to be talking about Danny Masterson. So if you know anything about that story, sexual assault, trigger warning. If that's not for you, I'm going to put the timestamp for my Welcome to Plathville recap in the episode description. So you can just skip over there and we'll we'll talk about the mess that's happening with all those blonde people. But let's get into our pop culture roundup for this week, starting off with Joe and Sophie. What did I tell you guys? I told y'all last week, even though I have really very little frame of reference, I'm not a Jonah, I'm like a little too old to be a Jonas Brothers girl, um, and I've never seen Game of Thrones, so even though I really don't, you know, care, <laughs> for lack of a better word, about either of these people individually or as a couple, something in the way this was rolling out, I was like, we gotta keep our eyes on this because mess is happening and what has happened I have a timeline is just a master class in media literacy for us all in and to not believe everything that we read so to give you guys a little bit of a backstory on Joe and Sophie they've been together for like years now I think they uh Joe slid into her dms like in 2017 I believe she was 20 he was 27 at the time and they got engaged the following year, had two weddings, had two kids. The last kid was last year. And, um, yeah, so now they're getting a divorce. So let's go down the timeline of like what, what happened. So last week I told y'all on the third, it was being reported by a few outlets that they were headed toward divorce and that Joe was looking for, or had hired a divorce lawyer. So TMZ was like one of the first people to talk about this. And this was why I was like, Hmm, Mm -mm. because they said in the article that over the last three months Joe had been taking care of he'd been the primary caretaker for their two young children basically all the time even though he's been touring with the brothers right um and I thought mm -mm. something in the milk ain't clean here 
because y'all can get a divorce for a million reasons, but bringing your children into it and bringing up, I'm such a good dad as part of it is weird to me. It seems like a setup, a scheme, a scheme that Todd made up. So that was the fourth, the third, right? The fourth, Joe's still, they're still on tour, the Jonas Brothers. He's still wearing his wedding ring, wedding ring on stage and he performed, I guess, a song that he wrote for her. In this article that I did, they said that the Jonas Brothers do a 67 song set during their concert. 67. I looked at how many Beyonce's been doing for Renaissance. 36. How do y'all even have 67 songs? That's wild. <laughs> that is wild to me. But anyway, so that was the fourth. So even though these rumors are coming out, he's like, oh, he's still wearing his ring. And like, so maybe we're, maybe things are okay. Or maybe they're trying to work things out or whatever. Right. Okay. So then the following day, after he performatively wears his ring and sings a song, he officially files for divorce, citing their relationship is irretrievably broken. Right. And the streets have been saying that he, they have been having problems for about six months. So. Then they're saying part two of this, the reason why Joe filed for divorce, the sources were saying that Sophie likes to party and he's the homebody and they have very different lifestyles, which everybody, when that came out was like, oh, okay, I'm calling bullshit on this because those of y'all who were in the know with regard to this relationship had known that basically, I guess their dynamic this whole time was that she was the homebody and he was the one who got, likes to go out. And she even did an interview, like in the height of the very beginning of the pandemic, where she's like doing a zoom interview, maybe with Conan or somebody, but she's talking about how like, yo, like I'm kind of into this pandemic. I barely leave my house anyway. And it's kind of a blessing because Joe's never home usually. And now he is right. That was in 2020. Okay. So now we get to the day after the official divorce is announced. This is the sixth. Joe finds himself uh, just out of nowhere. He, he and his nanny, I'm assuming are uh, eating al fresco at some restaurant in, in LA doting daddy with the two kids girl. Okay. Like, you know exactly what you're doing. And that same day it came out that something happened on a ring cam that Joe found. Then that was the reason why he decided to break up with her that we don't know what he said, but he saw something she did or said something that made him realize that their marriage was over. Like, what could she have possibly been doing at the front door or saying at the front door that was so relationship ending? Like, what was she doing? Singing Watermelon Sugar or something? What happened? Maybe she said she didn't really like Cake by the Ocean that much. I, I don't know. And then on the 7th, Sophie's side starts coming out that she had been... Like I said, they just had a kid July of 2022 that Sophie had been like struggling postpartum and that Joe was less than supportive and that basically she didn't want to leave her home having the baby blues or some sort of PPD. She didn't want to be photographed. She didn't want to go to these events, but she still did it because Joe would like make her feel bad about it. Then there was one uh, instance apparently where uh, several people said she and Joe went to an event. She made it very clear that she was like feeling some type of way. She was uncomfortable or whatever. And she didn't want to be there. After that, there was another situation where Joe goes something 
somewhere where she doesn't. And then he was complaining and was like, oh, she needs to be getting out more. And basically just feeling like he was being insensitive to this woman who had just given birth to his child. And also to explain why he's been having custody of these, or why he's been like the primary parent for the, the summer is because she's been in the UK. And apparently they made a joint decision to be like, okay, I, she's filming, she's doing this show. They figured it would be better for the kids to be in the United States where they would have a wider net of support. And, you know, like this, this was already discussed. This wasn't like a woman just doing whatever, like going out more, wearing less and going out more and just, you know, like being a baddie with her baddie friends. And that makes all the sense in the world to me. Why would these children who are American toddlers need a structure, whatever, if they can see their dad during the day because he works at night rather than be shift off to UK where they're not going to see their mama during the day because they work long hours filming. It, it, yeah, that makes like, a, it seems like a very sound parenting choice. Now where this is all blowing up in his pretty little face is the fact that people are like, hmm, you do have a history of dating women significantly younger than you or being with them. Like Gigi Hadid, apparently he had been hollering out when she was 13 and he was 19 and what what's the expectation here you dated a girl from the time she was 20 to 27 she had two children she's probably feeling insecure she has this career and i was reading quotes where she's saying that like i've been playing all these different characters i really haven't been able to like ground and find myself this is in the very beginning of her relationship with joe and she said that basically like she's finding her happiness through him which is, you know, a thing that we say at 20, 21, and we think that's very romantic. And it's not. It isn't at all. It's controlling and upsetting. And I'm not, obviously, I'm not blaming her for this. But yeah, now she's 27. She's, you know, hitting her Saturn return. And she's starting to realize things. And it's like, probably like, oh, I want to, like, figure myself out or be this person. I've spent my entire 20s with this dude Maybe she now wants to, like, have a good time and, like, go out and, like, do what people in their 20s do. And she's got this 34-year-old husband who's like, oh, whatever. Even though that's not even seemingly the, the actual narrative of it. It just is giving, like, I have a feeling she probably woke up and was like, mm, I don't know if I could do this. And he's doing his damnedest to make her look really bad, which is really horrible for somebody who had your children. So yeah, that's it on that. Let's move on to our next one. Oh God. Should we talk about, let's get into Kim's corner real quick. Let's, let's lighten things up <laughs> with, um, with, uh, uh, evictions and divorce and lies we'll talk talk about kim zolciak just real quick just real quick because you guys because just keep in mind that this all happened within a 48 less than 48 hour period okay um, we'll just get through it real quick croy's lawyer says that he's had enough he's sick of it he basically just like begging kim to sell this house so that they can get down a lot of their debt and move forward with their lives he's like i i don't understand like this is a very clear a way out of our situation and um she's not budging apparently that that's the thing and then <laughs> the following day uh kim tried to hit Saks fifth avenue on an okie doke so they tried to serve her 
a process server came to their their neighborhood to try to serve her with uh, this lawsuit because she allegedly owes about $150,000 on a sex credit card. So they get to the call box or whatever, and the process server says that he goes to the house. Somebody, some man answers the, you know, call box or whatever, identifies themselves as a resident and said according to the server that he had just bought the house and and that she's not there so you can't serve her now granted hours later she was in the house posting on instagram stories and whatnot so that's cap and then even though Corey has been like we're breaking up we're definitely breaking up i'm not doing this with you she posts on her instagram stories on friday this happened wednesday thursday friday on our Instagram stories, I'm living here and I'm not going anywhere. I've been working on our marriage and we've been living as husband and wife. Now, this is after, this isn't like speculative stuff. This is Croy's lawyer specifically saying these things about the sale of the home, about the fact that he is over this relationship. But then she's like, we're tired of the lies. And we've been living as husband and wife. I, I don't know what you guys are saying or what you're talking about. Okay, but just last week you were in LA wearing your ring, not wearing your ring, saying that it was your decision to sell the house and nothing goes through you. He can't do anything. It's all you. But okay, we're lying. And that's Kim's Corner. All right, now let's get into the mess with Danny Masterson. So if you guys don't know, back in 2017, there were three women who came forward, all alleging that he had sexually assaulted them, um, either rape or sexual assault, between 2001 and 2003. This is while he was on that 70s show. Um, there was a three-year investigation that took place, and during said investigation with the LABT, LAPD, at least one other woman came forward. There's already been a trial that was declared a mistrial. During the retrial, he was found guilty, and this gave him the 30 years to life prison sentence that he got on Thursday for the rape of two women. Not all four of them. There were just two charges. Two of them were able to say witness impact statements, and one of them said, when you raped me, you stole from me. That's what a rape is. Rape is a theft of the spirit. You're pathetic, disturbed, and completely violent, and the world is better off with you in prison. And then another woman said that he has not shown one ounce of remorse for the pain that he caused. And she says, I knew he belonged behind bars for the safety of all the women he came into contact with. I'm so sorry. I'm so upset. I wish I'd reported him sooner to the police. And according to people in the courtroom, that he did not display any emotion whatsoever when these women were reading their impact statement. And his lawyers, which, like, one of them was Sean Holly. I didn't realize that. Fuck that bitch. Fuck her. One of the lawyers submitted these letters with their recommendation that he, the judge, hand down um, Masterson, like, concurrent sentences. So, like, he got 15 years for each. They wanted them to run concurrently so that he could only, he would only be, uh, that he would be eligible for parole in 15 years instead of 30 years. And the judge declined and was like, told him, you're not the victim here. Your actions 20 years ago took away any other person, any, uh, ugh. your actions 20 years ago took away another person's choice and voice. Your actions 20 years ago were criminal and that's why you're here. And that's how you read a bitch. 
And that leads me to our queen once again, Megan Cuniff, Megan the Investigator, who said, you guys want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. And released all these uh, statements, letters that people wrote in support of Danny Masterson, including Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, Giovanni Ribisi, who is also an S-word as Danny Masterson is. I'm not scared of you guys anymore. He, they're both Scientologists, and fuck them. Billy Baldwin, he also wrote a statement. Um, he, if you're wondering, like, why would Billy Baldwin do that? He's, could we have to, like, break down this whole situation. So, Danny Masterson married to Bijou Phillips. Bijou Phillips sisters, China Phillips, the blonde one from Wilson Phillips, Holy Spirit Activate, if you guys remember that lady at, at um, what was it? Family Feud being like, holy spirit, activate. That's her. <laughs> China and Bijou's, they're half-sisters. Their father is John Williams. So their other sister, one of their other sisters, is Mackenzie Phillips, actress who said, wrote a book that stated that for 10 years, she was in an incestuous relationship with their father, John. China apparently was very supportive of Mackenzie. Bijou was not. <laughs> And I think a lot of people, I don't, I'm not really sure. Cause I heard that Bijou, um, was put in foster care at a point because her parents were fit, were deemed unfit. So I'm not really sure like what relationship she had to her father, but it, let's suffice to say, these are like, in my opinion, this was not really Bijou's thing to be denying because these are half sisters who lived very different lives with their parents and, she might not know the whole truth. I mean, I get it. I wouldn't want to think that my daddy uh, was doing that with my sister either. But, you know, sometimes we got to be honest about stuff. She actually made a statement and sent it to NBC and said, I'm 29 now and I've talked to everyone who was around during that time. I've asked the hard questions. I do not believe my sister. My well, Our father is many things, but this is not one of them. Bijou has also been accused by both Daniel Frenzes, the guy from uh, Mean Girls, and Heather Matarazzo from one of my favorite movies ever, Welcome to the Dollhouse. They both have made claims about her being a real dick to both of them. Um, both of them have claimed that she's attacked them physically. Um, Daniel said that she would body shame him, would like repeatedly just like ask him in front of a bunch of people if he's gay would tweak his nipples and just like was really really unkind called him referred to him as carney wilson and would rub her dirty feet on his neck while sitting behind him and he said the way i was treated in that hostile work environment gave me a ptsd that had me stay closeted for a long time they worked together in 2001 well they were <laughs> ironically, filming a movie called Bully. Now, Heather Matarazzo worked with Busy in 2007 on Hostel Part 2. She said that Busy allegedly pushed her up against the wall, choked her, and threatened her at a pre-production party. She says she had thrown me up against the wall and put her hands around my neck and choked me for a good 15-20 seconds. I mean, I've never experienced some... She goes, I mean, I have experienced some horrifying moments in my life, and I count that to be one of them. Then she says around the time she had been sober for about a year, this was at a pre-production party, like I said, that she wasn't drinking, she didn't, like, she wasn't on anything, totally sober. And apparently, this led Busy to attack her, in which she said, allegedly, I'm going to make sure that you relapse on this film. Yikes. <laughs> 
Now let's move on to Ashton Kutcher. If you guys don't know, Ashton headed up a uh, an organization called Thorn. It's called the D- Digital Defenders of Children. It's an organization that combats human trafficking and the conditions that enable it. And you know, people for, uh, forced into sex slavery, things of that nature. So. Why he would have written a letter in support of Danny Masterson is beyond me, especially when he uh, did an interview with Esquire saying that he wanted Danny to be innocent, but he couldn't know for sure. I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury. I'm not the DA. I'm not the victim and I'm not the accused. And so in that case, I don't have a space to comment. So he wrote a letter in defense of Danny and it's as follows. Honorable Judge Almedo. My name is Ashton Kutcher, and I'm an actor, investor, philanthropist, and most importantly, a father. I met Danny Masterson when I was 20 years old in 1998. He instantly became a friend, dedicated co-worker, and a role model to me, and has remained as such for 25 years. As a friend, Danny has been nothing but a positive influence on me. As a friend, he's an extraordinarily honest and intentional human being. Over our 25-year relationship, I don't recall him ever lying to me. He's taught me about being direct and confronting issues in life and relationships head-on, resolving them, and moving forward. Danny is a person that is consistently there for you when you need him. We've traveled around the world together, raised our children, daughters together, and shared countless family moments. Not only is he a good friend to me, I've witnessed him be a good friend to others and the kind of brother others would be lucky to have. As a role model, Danny has consistently been an excellent one. I attribute not failing and falling into the typical Hollywood life of drugs directly to Danny. Anytime we were to meet someone or interact with someone who was on drugs or did drugs, he made it clear that that wouldn't be a good person to be friends with. And for me, that was an implication that if I were to do drugs, he wouldn't want to be friends with me, which is something I would never want to risk or jeopardize. I'm grateful to him for that positive peer pressure. He also set an extraordinary standard around how you treat other people. There was an incident where we were at a pizza parlor and a belligerent man entered who is berating his girlfriend. We had never met or even seen these people before, but Danny was the first person to jump to the defense of this girl. It was an incident that he didn't have to get involved in, but proactively chose to because the way this man was behaving was not right. He has always treated people with decency, equality, generosity. After 9-11, Danny was a huge advocate for support of the firefighters affected by the event, rallying his friends and co-workers to pitch in however they could. Danny had his daughter a year before I had mine. He set a standard of being a hands-on dad. We have spent countless hours together with our kids, and he is among the few people that I would trust to be alone with my son and daughter. He's also a dedicated and loyal husband with unwavering commitment to his wife. We spent hundreds of hours working together. Danny takes his job seriously. He's kind, courteous, and hardworking. He treated everyone from the grips to the teamsters to the actors to the caterers as equals. He showed up on time all the time and always pulled his weight. We've also traveled around the world together promoting our work, and I can honestly say that no matter where we were or who we were with, I never saw my friend be anything other than the guy that I have described. While I'm aware the judgment has been cast as guilty on two counts of rape by force and the victims have a great desire for justice, I hope that my testament to his character is taken into consideration in sentencing. I don't believe that he's an ongoing harm to society having his daughter raised without a present father. That would be a tertiary injustice in and of itself. Thank you for taking the time to read this, Ashton Kutcher. You know it's also like a tertiary injustice to women? 
so Mila also wrote a letter and she says, I have written this letter on behalf of my dear friend, Danny Masterson, with whom I have had the privilege of sharing a significant part of my life. My name is Mila Kunis and I'm an actress and I believe it's essential to share the remarkable influence Danny has had on my life and the lives of others. I first met Danny in our time working together on that 70s show and from the very beginning, I could sense his innate goodness and genuine nature. Throughout our time together, Danny's proved to be an amazing friend, confident, and above all, an outstanding older brother figure to me. His caring nature and ability to offer guidance has been instrumental in my growth both personally and professionally. One of the most remarkable aspects of Danny's character is his unwavering commitment to discouraging the use of drugs. His influence on me in regard to this has been invaluable. In an industry where the pressures and temptations of substance abuse can be overwhelming, Danny paid a pl- uh, played a pivotal role in guiding me away from such destructive paths. His dedication to avoiding all substances has inspired not only me, but also countless others in our circle. Danny's steadfastness in promoting a drug-free lifestyle could be a guiding light, or has been a guiding light, in my journey through the entertainment world, and has helped me prioritize my well-being and focus on making responsible choices. His genuine concern for those around him and his commitment to leading by example make him an outstanding role model and friend. Danny's role as a husband and a father to his daughter has always been nothing short of extraordinary. Witnessing his interactions with his daughter has been heartwarming and enlightening. He prioritizes his family, education, and happiness above all else, demonstrating his unwavering commitment to being a loving and responsible parent. As a father, he leads by example, instilling in her values that reflect integrity, compassion, and respect for others. Moreover, Danny has consistently displayed a profound sense of responsibility and care for those around him. He demonstrates grace and empathy in every situation, be it within the entertainment industry or in our personal lives. His steady support and understanding presence make him a reliable source of guidance and comfort for all of us. Danny Masterson's warmth, humor, and positive outlook on life has been a driving force in shaping my character and the way I approach life's challenges. His unwavering commitment to being an exceptional older brother figure to me has had a transformative impact on my life, instilling in me a sense of self-belief and encouraging me to aim for greatness, but all while maintaining a sense of humility. In conclusion, I wholeheartedly vouch for Danny Masterson's exceptional character and the tremendous positive influence he has had on me and the people around him. His dedication to leading a drug-free lifestyle and the genuine care that he extends to others make him an outstanding role model and friend. Please feel free to reach out if you require any further information or clarification. Sincerely, Mila Kunis. What the f- So him not doing drugs does what? Because that's all I'm hearing. Like, he just doesn't smoke weed. He doesn't take psychedelics and therefore he can't rape people. Like, it actually makes it worse that he's doing all these dead-ass sober. And also, I don't know, like, friendship uh, circles can be very different, but I have incredible friends incredible friends that are like leaders and you know do the right thing and are like pillars in their community and I just feel like the way they speak about this man is like he's ruling (laughs) this friendship circle and he's forcing people to act a certain way or you're gonna get cut out of my life and I don't know it just feels like he's a tyrant I don't know (laughs) I'm not going to get into all the other letters, but just know who wrote them. Like, like I said, Giovanni Rubisi, uh, Deborah Jo Rupp, the mom from that 70s show, Kurtwood Smith, the dad from that 70s show. 
Um, his brother, Chris, who was on Malcolm in the Middle, the oldest brother, uh, his sister, Alana, who I think was on, like, The Walking Dead or something like that. But to round out the uh, cast members who didn't, it was Laura Prepon, Wilmer Valderrama, shockingly, and Topher Grace. Uh, so let's get into Topher Grace, because the tables are really turning with his reputation, because I think everybody thought that he was, like, kind of a spoil sport, kind of like a dickhead, maybe a little bit moody, because for years now, it's been like, oh, this that 70s show everybody was friends except for Topher he would just get there and and like do his job and leave and now we're finding out like maybe it's because he didn't want to hang out with you assholes that it seems like what's happening because his wife Ashley Hinshaw went on Instagram stories and said to every rape victim that is re-traumatized by witnessing society debate and focus their attention on what's going to happen to the all caps rapist I see you Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And then... One of the victims, Chrissy Bixler, whose allegations they did not, uh, she was, her, her allegations moved on. <laughs> Why don't I say this? He did not get a guilty charge based on her allegations. I will say that. Chrissy Bixler, she dated him sometime in the 90s to early 2000s where she claims that he, Danny, um, allegedly raped her um, at some point during their relationship. So, uh, she had a lot of things to say and she let the chopper spray. We're going to actually start with her husband. Cause I'm like, he did that. He said, I'll be making a list of all of Danny's helpers and rape apologists to show all of you why women don't report rape. We fucking told you God bless the women that stood up to him and his shitty fucking family. Fuck Scientology rotten, rotten jail, Danny. God bless my wife. A true fucking warrior, a man. Okay. That's a man. But are y'all ready for what Chrissy said? Because, damn. Damn! So she wrote, Dear Ashton, I know the secrets of your quote-unquote role model keeps... I know the secrets that your quote-unquote role model keeps for you, ones that would end you. Did you forget that I was there? You were on the speakerphone that night that you called Danny on February 21st, 2001. I heard everything. I heard the plan. In my opinion, you're just as sick as your quote, mentor. Now... Let me just get you to what happened on February 21st, 2001. Now, allegedly back in February 2001, Ashton was dating this um, woman named Ashley Ellerin. She um, was murdered on February 21st of that year. Um, so apparently what had happened was that they were supposed to go on a date. So he went over to her house. Nobody answered. And I guess because she was already dead and I guess he had called the police like the day after and was like, hey, I just want to let you guys know I, um, you know, touched the door handle. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I I'm just trying to keep my literally like, tr trying to keep my hands clean of this situation. Now, I'm not saying that she's trying to accuse Ashton of murdering a woman because there was like a. Uh, like a Hollywood ripper, serial killer um, named Michael Gargiulio, who I guess was uh, 
the person who did it. But I think what she's insinuating is that he saw something and didn't do anything about that. And then she says, Dear Mila, I pray that you begin to process what you've experienced as a child on that set. Your old interviews are very telling. And then in parentheses, it says, I encourage everyone to watch them and decide for yourself what you hear and see. Do so before they get scrubbed from the internet. I also know what happened in Toronto and after. Question. If that's what you view as a normal relationship with a, quote, big brother figure, then I feel very sorry for you, and I hope you consider getting into therapy. You almost forget that I was there the whole time the first year, first five years of that 70s show. I remember everything. Now, Chrissy had also been claiming that after she had gone to the police with these uh, allegations against Danny, that both of her dogs died under mysterious circumstances, or actually not so mysterious, uh, very quickly after that. She said, I guess one of them died mysteriously, and then the second one died, and she was told that this was a result of eating rat poison. The dog ate rat poison that had been wrapped up in raw meat. And she says, this is the second dog that we've had to put down due to harassment from private investigators and Scientologists. This only makes us stronger. So we'll see. I'm really glad to see victims come out and speak their truth and not be quiet about it and, and say it, mention it all mention. Speaking of which we haven't heard from Bethany in like at least a week. Oh God. There's been a piece. There's been a piece on that. Let's, let's end on the high note of, of Bethany Frankel having not bothered us by stuffing seafood or screaming about Rachel for like a week and a half now. It's, it's really been nice. So with you, with that, you guys, uh, yeah, that's it. We're going to get into our recap of Welcome to Flatsville. Well, well, I recorded all of that Danny Masterson stuff before this um, hostage video that uh, I was about to call her Danny, and I will not disrespect her by doing that. But Mila and Ashton Kutcher um, just posted the video. I'm going to um, post the clip after this, so you'll be able to hear it. I'm sure you guys have <laughs> seen several people talking about it at this point already, but I just felt like I needed to insert this because, you know, um, is fairness the word? Is in the interest of fairness the right phrase? I don't think it is. Um, just what the hell were they thinking? Are these people actors? Aren't they paid to act? I know there's been a strike, but they couldn't have possibly left or lost all their acting skills in like three months. It, that's not possible to me. Um, I don't understand why it, if you haven't seen the video, they're clearly reading off of what I'm imagining is like a piece of, like a piece of paper that they taped to the side of their laptop. So it didn't uh, obstruct the view of the, the webcam. It's so half-assed. It's quarter-ass, frankly, like it's a quarter-ass attempt at like being like, well, listen, um, uh, we didn't know that this stuff was going to go public. And we just want to say that we uh, support everybody who's been sexually abused or assaulted or raped. And, you know, we don't want to, we were just speaking up on behalf of our buddy. And this is what I've always wondered. Why? Why? Like, I can 
understand having a long-term friend. Well, I can't understand. This has not happened to me. I can understand, like, finding up something disappointing about your friend and being like, damn, that's not the person I know. But what do you get out of saying that? Does that change what happened? Does that change another person's experience? Or does it only serve to, like, to dilute the horrible things that this person has been accused of and be like, well, I didn't have that experience with him. Ashton, why would you have had that experience with, with Danny Masterson? Why? Why? Why, um... You know, we could ask the questions of, like, why were you so interested in Mila when um, she was 14 on that show and you were 19? You know, we could, we could ask those questions. We could ask uh, a lot of questions of you guys, but I just have never been able to wrap my mind around why people need to... Ju- well, I, I think it's, like, if I say that this person was a nice person, then it makes me right. And it, it's, like, then I get to feel better about being associated with this person. Because if I say, well, that's not in my experience, then it kind of like takes away from like how it makes me feel inside. But the thing is like, it only adds to another person's pain. So shut the fuck up. You know, I'm sure all of us have somebody in our circle who has treated us like gold. And yet somebody else feels really badly about how that person treated them. I would never say like, well, I had a good time with that person. That's so mean. (laughs) So to say, like, we thought that this was just for the judge to read means, like, we were thought we were going to be able to keep it real cute in the public and not let everybody else know that this is what we did. And also, like, we were just out here to speak about, like, our experience with this person, which, again, does undermine because if you're talking about the person you knew 25 years ago the same during the same time frame when these assaults happen what do you think how is that not re-traumatizing how is that not undermining what they what he did and these victims feelings towards towards what happened to them like how does it not what do you think they wanted to feel good did you like if you there's a thing like if you knew if it, to me, if you're saying like, I thought this would only be for the judge's eyes, like this, this was for them, him, her, whoever. Um, it's giving like, I didn't really think this was going to get out. And like, now I got to clean up. And then for them to like, go back and forth line for line. Like they were like the two leads at, at the end of like fifth grade graduation. And like, they just didn't want to pick for one person to do the speech. So they're like, okay, well you get a line, you get this one, you get, and you can split it. It's just giving like telethon. It's giving like so disingenuous. And like, could y'all have like looked <laughs> interested and it honestly seems like they literally somebody pointed like snuck into their house and was like point a gun to their head wake up right now get outside sit down on the on your outdoor bench and do that and read it read what i said that's really like y'all are tired and you seem like you've been taken hostage at the same time so I, it's just amazing to me that they were like, mm, well, this is good. Bye. <laughs> and it just went from worse to worse there. So anyway, you guys, uh, oh, I'm going to take a stress nap. You'll hear what they said after this. And then we'll get on to Welcome to Plathville. 
aware of the pain that has been caused by the character letters that we wrote on behalf of Danny Masterson. We support victims. We have done this historically through our work and will continue to do so in the future. A couple months ago, Danny's family reached out to us and they asked us to write character letters to represent the person that we knew for 25 years so that the judge could take that into full consideration relative to the sentencing. The letters were not written to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of the jury's ruling. They were intended for the judge to read um, and not to undermine the testimony of the victims or re-traumatize them in any way. We would never want to do that. And we're sorry if that has taken place. Our heart goes out to every single person who's ever been a victim of sexual assault, sexual abuse, or rape. Olivia has said a bunch of things about my parents for years, and it's only gotten worse. It's got to the point where lies are being told. And I personally want to do my part in making things right. The thing with the credit card, that story that she told, the way I see that is she was using basically a made-up story to validate her big emotions. Mm -hmm. She has felt this way about our family, about you and dad. And she was like, I just have all this hate and anger that I'm spewing towards them and I need to, I need to make myself feel valid. And that makes me so mad because I sat there by her side for years saying, you are valid. You can feel however you wanna feel, that's okay. But I will not tolerate lies being told. I will not tolerate somebody just then going off the deep end saying, you know, like, you have every right not to like a person. That's okay. And you have every right to be like, oh, their values or their beliefs or whatever don't line up with mine, and I don't want to associate with that. That's okay. But it's not okay to try and make the whole world or a whole family feel the same way. You guys, welcome to Plathville's back. Everyone is blonder than ever and more dysfunctional. So let's get into the premiere. Woo! So last year's finale, just to catch us up, it involved the Plath family having a get-together down by the river for their deceased brother's birthday. And basically, things were so dysfunctional between Olivia, Kim, and the rest of them that Olivia and her brother, Nathan, basically refused to interact with anybody because Kim was there, which caused a big blow-up. It caused Mariah to get pissed off and basically for Mariah's and Olivia's friendship to end. And now... Everybody is anti-Olivia. They think she's very selfish, and it's not good, you guys. So, when we pick up this season, Ethan and Olivia have been in Europe for, like, two months. They had spent a month in Paris, and then they just kind of bopped around Europe. Ethan's like, yeah, you know, like, I love all that stuff. But there were things that Olivia and I had not worked out, like the fallout from our parents' divorce, my parents' divorce, and, like, the relationship with Micah and Mariah, and Olivia says that they, like, really talked it out, she and Ethan. They had some good fights. They had the good discussions. And the fights weren't pretty. But she also, I guess, apologized to Ethan, like, regretting how she acted that day down by the river. Down by the creek, if you will. And things have been, like, more or less good with them. And she says, you know, I just feel like no matter what, even if things are good with me and Ethan, I can't win with Micah and Mariah and that I feel like my boundaries are seen as petty by them. 
they both come to the conclusion, Ethan and Olivia, that there are like too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many voices and opinions in their marriage. And they got to get that out, move forward so that they can figure things out without everybody else. Then we go over to LA and we find out that Micah has stopped couch hopping and has his own, what I'm assuming is a furnished apartment because, I mean, we've seen the plath taste and I just don't think, you know what I mean? Anyway, he's still modeling, but he's got this gig in Miami just conveniently that's going to be in time with this uh, trip. He can like wrap in a trip to Cairo to go see the family and like start talking about things. So then he says, over the summer, meaning last season on the show, we all saw it, Olivia came out with a story that trashed his mom about an MLM company that she helped Ethan with, but Olivia made it look like Kim was just stealing from Ethan. But Micah says Olivia wasn't even there, and that at the time, Ethan was very happy to get a paycheck every month, but Olivia just made things negative, and she fabricated the story to make her look better. Then he says that ever since Olivia married Ethan, she's just been like this big cloud, dark cloud over everything from judging everything that Kim did, everything that she was horrible. And for a while, he was on that team. He was team Ethan and Olivia. But then something happened. This MLM thing happened and he realized that it's all been a manipulative game and he's over it. And he's also says that Mariah feels the same way. And so they together are not going to let Olivia sit there and throw shit on their family. Now, what this is giving to me is that she, I mean, he said it was an MLM. She signed them up as part of their downline, even part of his downline. And (laughs) I can't be on team Kim about this. I mean, it's a scam. We all know how that shit works. I did some research. Apparently they were doing like young living, those essential oils stuff. So it's giving scammer to me, but okay. Okay. Micah, here's my thing is that historically speaking, I have trusted Micah's opinion more than everybody's with regard to the situation. Like even Olivia, Ethan, he just seemed to be the most see things clearly more clearly than everybody else. But I think what Ethan says later might be shedding light as to why Micah has like defected from this whole team Ethan and Olivia, if we have to even call it that. Down in Tampa, which by the way, last season they were, the editors were making some um, creative, interesting creative choices with regard to like emojis on the screen and stuff. But this year it seems like they... As an introduction to, like, when we know we're in Tampa, they just put, like, a red filter over it. Like, I'm not sure why, but it looks like hell (laughs) in every way possible. Like, it looks stupid, but it also looks like they're in hell. But anyway, I mean, it is Florida. Anyway, so down in Tampa, Mariah is in her new apartment. She's learned how to clean or whatever. She's graduated from bartending school. She's got this big-ass dog, Blackjack. We all know that Mariah's, like, personal style tends to, um, I don't know if evolve would be the right word, but it shifts. It shifts every year. This season, we're giving, like, like, Elvira's daughter, if she was blonde, like, a white blonde Elvira with, like, a Shein collaboration. I would say that. Anyway, Mariah says that this year, like, she was living with Ethan and Olivia. It was, like really 
not great. She had the breakup with Max. Her parents got divorced. There was a bunch of drama with Olivia. And at that moment, there was something that she, like, saw in Olivia. And how obvious it became to her that everything was about her. But the real straw that broke the camel's back with Mariah was when Olivia said the stuff about the credit cards. And basically, she feels like it's not right to just sell tell pieces of a story to make somebody, a.k.a. their mom, look bad. So, she and her siblings issued a statement on Instagram. Now, I know, because I saw this in real time, they post, like, I think Mariah posted it, like, five minutes, and I was like, ooh, girl. And then all the rest of them came in. So, this was August 9th of 20, uh, 2022. And it says, um... We as a family have decided to not be divided anymore. There's a lot more to the story than what you have all seen on the show. While we understand that this is a TV show and we are not in control of how the show is edited, we're actually a family that's full of love and respect for each other. That being said, we as a family are not going to sit back and watch as our family is driven apart. For example, for example, we wanted to clear up something that Olivia said during the last episode. What Olivia said about our mom using Ethan's credit card was not the full story. Mom and Ethan had a business agreement in which Ethan earned a good bit of money, and both parties were aware of any transactions that were made. Our mom should have had the opportunity to defend herself and tell her side of the story. Some of us kids have been rebels and are finding our place in life and are very thankful to be supported and unconditionally loved by our family, no matter what choices we make or who we become. Please remember that we're human and we do make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, and we continue to learn and grow with every day. Not one person, no one person is at fault. We also have younger siblings that are very vulnerable ages, and this is not fair nor healthy for them. We've come to the realization that unless we speak up, this cycle will never end, and we ask that you have compassion for us and understand that not everything you see on the show is as it actually is in real life. Thank you for continued your continued support. Family first. With love from the Plath family. Now, listen, we all know that Kim educated these people. I don't think that Nan, one of them, actually wrote that, but they posted it, and that's what matters. So Mariah tells us, at that point, she decided to move out of the house that she shared with Ethan, Olivia, and Olivia's brother, Nathan. But they don't know yet, because they're still in Europe. But she says, when it comes to Olivia, she feels no guilt. No guilt about saying, hey, I loved you, we were friends, but I don't want to do this anymore. And she knows it's sad because it's ultimately going to affect her relationship with Ethan. Like, if I'm not fucking with your wife, what's going to happen with us? But she says she's reached out to them several times. They've not responded, so she just left a note at the house, and that's it. She now lives in a loft. Speaking of people living in apartments, we see Kim living in her apartment above the dance studio because she says Barry wouldn't move out of the house. (laughs) That they were, like, they had decided that she would be the primary caretaker, but something changed. And I think what changed is that, y'all, do you guys feel like Kim has any desire to be a parent? Because I really don't. (laughs) She says, like, at one point, you know, I just wish that I could just take off on a sailboat and just send a postcard once a year. I mean, I'm not going to do that because I have children, but, like, they could come with me. And it's like, you don't want them to come with you. I know you don't. You want to go on that boat. You've been dreaming of it. But she's now living her life as a baddie, I guess. And she's like, you know, things are scary because, you know, she's spent all of her adult life being cared for financially by Barry. Him taking care of all the bills. But now they've got 50-50 custody and she's going to have to figure out that stuff herself. Is the dance studio still open? 
because it seemed like something that happened for about six weeks last season. I don't, did she have a class? I don't know. I looked up the Facebook last, at the end of last season and it was like, oh, we have events four months ago and they had not posted really after that. So has anybody joined Miss Kim's dance studio? Please let me know. Then she says that there are times where she's like worried about if she's going to be single forever and lonely, but it's better than making somebody, than being with somebody who makes you feel lonely anybody. Anyway, and so she says, you know, with her full chest as if we give a fuck, I knew that by walking away from this marriage, I would lose the respect of my friends, the conservative Christian community trust in my children. But you know what? I was so unhappy in the marriage that it was worth losing that for the possibility of a happy future. And like, is she wrong? No. But like, how (laughs) are you that concerned about the conservative Christian community not liking you? I've, are you guys like, what's happening? Do they care? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if they cared in the first place is what I'm saying, but that's your battle girl. Whatever you say. Back in Paris, Ethan's going back home. Olivia's going to be hanging out with a friend in the Netherlands for a week before she comes back. So Ethan says as soon as he gets home, he's going to have a talk with Mariah and they're going to try to work it out. But like, he doesn't want to do it. He just wants to go to work and not deal with any issues. As we know, this man is like an emotional turtle and he doesn't want to talk about anything. (laughs) Now he really doesn't want to talk about it. So then Ethan says that he saw the post about Mariah that Mariah posted. She posted it first and he was like, Ugh, like I have a sinking feeling about this, but I'm going to ignore it. And then bam, 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 Micah, Lydia, Isaac, they all posted on their Instagrams. And then he apparently pulled a Paul from 90 day fiance and just like ran into the woods for an hour because he was so pissed off. <laughs> Do you guys know what's happening with Paul recently? Y'all know Paul. Paul, who didn't want the poop water. Paul and Karini from 90 Day Fiance. Paul, um... God, Jesus. He, last week, or maybe two weeks ago at this point, hit up his mom on, like, WhatsApp or whatever, and was like, Mom, Mom, please get me a boat. I'm lost. I'm in the forest. He's in Brazil still. Karini, by the way, has been living in America for years. He's been living in Brazil. But anyway, he hits up his mom and is like, I'm lost. Here's my... Here's my, um... You know, I'm pinging my location. They couldn't get a hold of him for, like, days. So his mom is calling the Brazilian embassy. There are people here, there, and everywhere saying, we're looking for him. We're bringing out boats. Like, all hands on deck. Karini's posting, you know, it wasn't all bad with us. Like, making it seem like he died. Now, granted, they were like, he's missing. And then, like, an hour later, she posted this, like, collage of them and the kids. Like, they weren't all bad times. Suggesting that he died, right? Like, obviously that's what people are going to think. And then she posted a picture of her, like, with her stomach, like, (sighs) trying to suggest that she was pregnant. She's not. These people are so thirsty. So basically they found Paul, like, uh, like several days later and he was totally fine. Like, I guess he had gone out with a friend and something had happened with the boat that they had gone out with. So he called his mom, but whatever. Apparently the streets are saying that really what happened was this was a scheme that Paul and Karini came up with because they have, they don't have custody of their children. And there was a custody case about to come up. So they were trying, I don't really know what 
their thinking was behind it, but I don't know what their thinking was is behind anything that if he was like missing, then the court case would end up in there. I don't know. How the hell are you going to get court uh, custody of your children if you're not like probably dead or missing? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, Paul's now pissed off be at his mama because she was concerned about him and things are not great, but things are never great with Paul. Let's move on. So Ethan tells Olivia that he's really disappointed in Mariah and Micah for going along with it, with that post. And basically he feels like Olivia can't say bad things about their mom, even if it's the truth. But like, it doesn't negate what happened. Ethan says things are sensitive because of the divorce between Kim and Barry, but he thinks that what's going on is that the reaction to what Olivia said might be a desperate attempt at keeping some kind of togetherness with the family when there's a division. But at the end of the day, what Olivia said happened. It was a problem for him. Eventually things got worked out in a way that he felt was fair, but that, that shit re was real. And this was a part of the episode where I was thinking like, who's really at fault here? Is it Kim or is it Olivia? And I think those of us who watch the show know that really the answer is both. But the truth is, if Ethan is saying, Kim did this, this is exactly what happened, Olivia did not lie, then that's it. He's the one who has the right to be upset about this. It's his story, his credit card, his downline, I guess. And if he says it happened, then it happened. I do think that in many ways... Olivia and Kim are two sides of the same coin. I think Olivia has a lot of trauma from her own family. And then she saw what was going on with the Plaths and was like, okay, I'm not going to deal with my family. I love this kid, but I'm seeing that his family has shades of like what I had to grow up with. And we're both going to escape. Like, we're out of here. But then we also have to figure, like, factor in... That Olivia is only now 24. <laughs> only now. Like, so I can't really, like, you know, if I'm going to lay blame on somebody, I'm going to lay it on somebody who's been a whole ass adult for the entirety of Olivia's life. So I think the responsibility mostly lies on Kim's part, but I do think that, like, Olivia maybe did a little too much, not with regard to this story... I don't know. I'm conflicted. Like, did we need to know this? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause I'm nosy, but like, I guess I could see why people would feel like this was not Olivia's story to tell, but at the end of the day, it's a true story and that's all that matters. And what I'm really confused about is, did anybody ask Ethan? Have Mariah and Micah asked Ethan what his side of the story is, or are they just t sticking to their mom? Like, I want to know more. They, I just feel like they should have been, like, more detailed as to what exactly the dynamic is. So Olivia tells Ethan, look, I understand. Like, they feel like their family's falling apart, and I get it to a degree, but, like, it's also pretty crazy to me that they keep asking me over and over why I didn't mess with Kim. And then when I finally tell my story, their immediate response is that I'm lying to get over it and to grow up. But at the end of the day, she knows why she chose her boundaries. So she tells Ethan that when they've been away, they've been able to like work through their own stuff 
and it's been good. But Ethan says he's really over the drama and he's just at the point where, listen, everybody can think what they want, but just keep it to yourself. (laughs) So Ethan goes back to America and he says when he gets there, his plan is to go straight to Mariah and have a talk with her because he still thinks that they live together so they can get things straight. He's like, listen, I just want to tell her, like, if you have an issue with me or somebody, fine, but like maybe don't go straight to social media and make things worse right and then we have to go see barry we're back in cairo barry's having family having dinner with the family every one of them with a full full bottle of kombucha (laughs) and that really cracked me up because like who are we we're really clearing ourselves out i think this must be like they don't get to have soda so kombucha is like the next best thing (laughs) But y'all's stomach's supposed to be blowing up. Also, do they know that that shit's, like, fermented? Are kids allowed to be having... I honestly don't know. Are they allowed to be drinking, like, those full bottles of kombucha in one go? Because it feels like they might be getting a little turnt. It's happened to me. It could happen to a lot of people. (laughs) So many of you guys reached out to me with regard to... Did I see Barry's workout? Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yeah, I did. And I don't like it. Don't ask me about that. (laughs) I did not appreciate seeing all his very clean armpits. Like the man is shaving all of his body hair. And that's just like information that I didn't need. I didn't need it. Like I knew that the musculature of Micah must have come from somewhere, but I didn't need to know where. Like you could have just told me. This really could have been an email. I don't. And I don't. You know, so Barry says that, like, basically he's been up in the gym just working on his fitness and because he's trying to get his like emotions in check. He's working on his revenge body and it was like a release for him as it is for many people. And then he started seeing the big results and he says, and I quote, like he's sitting there giddy in his chair about like the results of his body changing and the thrill of it because the blood flows and things get bigger. And you could just tell by the glint in his eye that like that hasn't happened to any of his appendages in quite a long time. And he's loving it and he'll take it anywhere he can get it. Okay. But I didn't need to know that. None of us did. So let's take a breath and release that. Okay. Lydia says that everyone's doing good now and that's because their dad is doing well. So when the head of the household is good and strong and steady, it just trickles down to everybody else. Like 
how did Lydia have Reaganomics with regard to the the emotion of the Plath home? I don't know. Oh, Lydia also dropped an album, or she's about to soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, so Ethan gets back to Tampa, and he's immediately sees this note that Mariah left on the counter. So I pause to see what it said, and it goes, Dear Ethan and Olivia, <clears throat> now keep in mind, what she said is that she, like, she presented this to us as though she just, like, could not possibly live with them anymore. And that it was just, like, a bridge too far with Olivia. Now, this letter does not give that at all. So he's, Dear Ethan and Olivia, thank you for both renting with me. I wanted to say I'm sorry for leaning too much on y'all earlier this year when I was going through a hard time. Me struggling was no excuse to depend on y'all, and I know that's what families for or should be for, but I never want to have to be in that position again. Here's, she wrote down $700, but then she crossed it out and said $642, and I'll be dropping off another check in a few days for $358. So, like, hopefully paying the last month's rent, September, before August, and then you can't really see the bottom, but she basically says, like, I have a lot going on right now, and, like, it just feels good to be on my own for the first time, and then she starts talking about her dog, and that seemed to be the end of the letter. Now, like, this is, like, she's got all this energy for us that I'm not seeing in this note at all. Sounds like you guys did a lot for me, but like, I'm going to go and spread my wings. Thank you so much for being there in a time of need, but like, I'm going to be an adult and figure it out myself. This is not like Olivia, you exposed our mom for being a scammer. (laughs) Fuck you guys. But okay. Ethan says he's really frustrated and he's genuinely surprised because Mariah told him she was going to be staying for a couple weeks after he got back. But this thing seems, like, real theatrical, and it, if it was him, he wouldn't have moved out until, like, the leaseholder came back, but, like, that's not what happened. So, he's like, I want to give things time, but I'm obviously upset, but he wants to talk to her in the next couple of days. So, right in that point, Nathan, Olivia's brother, walks in, because he's been living with them. Remember, he got a DUI. Um, and Ethan's like, what? <laughs> How did this go with Mariah? And Nathan's like, well... It, it was quick. I don't know. And he's got a very soft voice for a seemingly very tall man. But okay. Um, young man. I. But anyway, he says he didn't know anything. He got home. Olivia was packing up. There was a moving truck outside. And then when he... Then she left. And then she just texted him like, Oh, hey, sorry. I didn't have time to say goodbye. See you later. <laughs> this is like... Okay, this is not as mature as you as you led us to believe, but Ethan's like, listen, I think what's going on is that Mariah got pissed off at Olivia and didn't want to deal with it. So he's frustrated now because he's caught in the middle, as he has been, between Olivia and the rest of the family. And it's to the point where he can't stand it anymore. So he tells Nathan, like, They're heading over to Montana because he and Olivia had this plan to live three different places over the course of three years. He's got family, grandparents up there, so that's their plan. But, here we go, back to the guy's garage games. He's got to go back up to Cairo because he's got some motorcycle to work on and the cars and, like, Basically, he wants to get all those things gone before they go to Minnesota. So he's going to be up in Cairo for two months while Olivia stays down in Tampa. Now listen, I don't have a car. I know nothing about like tinkering around and doing all that, but 
I do know that it can't possibly take several, two months for a car that's already built. Like, and then how much do you get off of that in, in the end? Like, it, it's just, it's giving excuse, but whatever, even. Back in Cairo, Micah and Mariah are now in town. So they're going to have a talk with Kim and Barry. Kim and Kim says it's still like awkward to be around Barry sometimes. She, she goes, you know, I really don't prefer to be around him, <laughs> but that they could be cordial around the kids. So they get there and Micah, like they go outside to talk. And Micah says, listen, I know there's been a lot of things said about you guys and done that's happened in our family, but I want to apologize for my part in that because he says, I'm trying to, I was trying to find me and maybe I was like slightly influenced. So he apologizes again for like going there. And Micah says that there was a long time where Olivia would introduce them to things like soda or whatever, and that they would like them, but she would present it in a way of like, look at this, like your parents don't let you have this and like what bad parents they are for being like withholding. But there were a lot of good parts about their growing up. Like, uh, the fact that they had a lot of land and they built stuff. I don't know. There were cows and it was good to chop trees. And that was like a, a good thing for their childhood, which is probably true. Like just a lot of kids don't have the opportunity to just like run outside and like be children and play Tom Sawyer or whatever. Okay, great. But like there's other things. And that's what Olivia's talking about. Like, I distinctly remember Ethan saying at one point how frustrated he was with the fact that Kim was, like, pretty lackadaisical about their education so that when they went out there in the world, they didn't, they weren't prepared for anything. Like, they couldn't, I remember they, one time they were on the computer and, like, the way they were typing just made me so sad because I truly feel like in 2020 anything, even 2010s, right, children in America should and I think need to be computer literate like you gotta be to do most things so the fact that they like didn't even know how to like navigate the internet or type or anything I just felt like yeah like he was right <clears throat> Kim did not set those these kids up for success and frankly without this show Mariah what would you be doing like like no shade <laughs> to the children this is Kim's fault but like she has a lot of faults and like, yeah, it's great that you have these fun memories of like playing, but I, there are also like points that Olivia makes that are very valid. I do not believe that Olivia intentionally came into this family to make everybody feel bad about how Kim and Barry raised them. I don't, I think what happened is she came to a different family. She was feeling some type of way about her own. She meets Ethan. She gets this friendship with Kim thinking, oh, she's not like my mom. And then she realizes she is like my mom. And then it was like, oh, we got to get out of here. And I think, I think that's all that happened. Micah says that Olivia would always talk shit and he feels like Ethan just absorbs all of that and it's bringing him down. And Barry goes, you know what that's called? Brainwashing. <laughs> okay. So Mariah says that over the years, Olivia spent all this time saying bad things about their parents and now it's just gotten to the point where lies are being told so she's like this is an escalation of like whispers to fully talking shit to just straight up lying about kim and she's over it so she says that with regard to the credit card story 
She feels like Olivia made up a story to validate her big emotions and how mad that makes her because she stood by her side for all this time. And, you know, she's like, hey, Olivia can feel however she wants. You don't have to like everybody. You don't have to feel like your values align. It's okay. But it's not okay to make other people feel the same way. So Barry says that it's relationally destructive and everybody's like, yeah, we see that now. So Kim was like, you guys, I just want to let you know that the group statement on my behalf really made me cry and it made me feel good. Someone's took up for me. So thank you guys. Like, how is this any less brainwashing than what, what Olivia's doing? But anyway, so Olivia gets back home to Tampa. She's now found, found out that Mariah's moved out of the apartment or the house. None of the kids want to fuck with her, speak to her, and she feels very taken aback. Now, this is where I'm like, you lose the beat, Olivia, because, I mean, you saw what they said on Instagram, so why did you think you would get a warm reception? Why did you, why would you think that they wanted to talk about, to you? They wrote this whole thing on Instagram for everybody to see months ago, and y'all haven't spoken since, so why did you think when you got to America that that would be different? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, also, and I think another reason why we know that uh, Kim is lying is that she tells Mike and Mariah and Barry, like, we, I have my truth and Olivia has hers with regard to the credit card story. But, okay. She's like, I'm just not going to fight the battle anymore, which feels like somebody who got away with something. Who's like, well, I don't want to bring this up anymore. Let's just get over it because you don't want to keep talking about it and, and find out people and have people find out the actual truth. But anyway... So yeah, Olivia's back and she's like, listen, me and Mariah were best friends, but like, I'm sad, but at the same time, I'm angry because I feel like I've bent over backwards. But at the end of the day, it really didn't mean anything. And that's where I have to find fault with Olivia. It's like bent over back. What do you mean? Like bent over backwards to save these kids from their parents or what, what are these big efforts that you made? Like that didn't mean anything. I, I'm not sure. But then she also says, you know, I think with a lot of dysfunctional families, like there's a merry-go-round of people cutting people off. So she, it was giving like, this too shall pass, right? But now Ethan is going to leave to go to his one true love, the car garage. And she's worried. Listen, she's worried that they're going to convince Ethan to leave her, frankly. So she gets upset and she goes, Ethan, are you going to talk to me? Mind you, he said he's leaving for two months. I just feel like, as a partner, you shouldn't have to ask them that. Like, are you going to speak to me? So Ethan tells the story as though it's like, oh, haha, me just being a clueless husband that I just get into the groove of the garage and I just stop talking to her. And she's like, yeah, I don't want it to get to the point where, like, I'm having to call the dudes at the garage and they're putting the phone up to your face saying, talk to your wife, because that's happened on several occasions, apparently. <laughs> and he's acting like this is funny. And it's not like I even does not want to be in this relationship. He doesn't. I don't know what his motivation is at this point. I know that he's exhausted and I don't think they're together anymore. And I think that's for the best. But anyway, he assures her that he'll definitely, I'll call you every day. I'll call you every day. Ethan has not spoken to or seen his family since they left for Europe. But, you know, we saw things happen at the end of last season where things were like 
kind of going well. He was getting along with Barry. He was having drinks with his mom. Like, they were making baby steps towards a reconciliation. But then that post happened, and that put a, a pin in it in everything. So he's like, listen, I'm going up to Cairo, but I'm going to fix my cars. I'm not going to fix anything but this old car, this old Plymouth. I'm not changing anybody's mind. I'm changing this oil, and then we're going to Minnesota. So at the end of the day, at the end of the episode, rather, Olivia's like, listen, I do have a lot of trust in Ethan because he stood up and protected me during this time, and so I do trust him, but I don't trust the people who want to spend time with him. (laughs) And I had never understood what people mean when they say that. Like, I get it. I get the concept of I trust you but I don't trust others but I don't think that's how it works because ultimately everybody makes their own decisions so you don't trust Ethan is what I'm saying you can wrap it up in a bow but ultimately the trust is still on the person that you're with not everybody else so anyway that's the end of Plathville y'all um I think we got a good season ahead of us. I really, really do. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. So welcome back to Cairo. Welcome back to Tampa. Welcome back to me. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Bye.